today's Bible reading is from Matthew 10, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. (laughs) I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it is not you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to to be like their teacher and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Uh, morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I uh, uh, pastor our night congregation, Grace Anglican Church at Night, but I often have uh, the joy of coming uh, to serve by uh, preaching the word here. Uh, two things before I kick off this morning. Uh, I th- one is, I want to apologise to you. I think two two weeks ago, when uh, the sound system wouldn't work at the beginning, was that two weeks ago? Uh, that's either at least partially, if not completely, my fault, so I'm very sorry. Uh, what had happened is I'd taken the, uh, the sound system to, to run a youth event and there were problems there that meant I messed with stuff and try as I might to try and mitigate that uh, problem, my, my competency uh, was not sufficient, uh, so I'm very sorry about that. 
Second thing is, uh, just indulge me for a second. I'm pretty sure I must be the only one, but, I, you know, maybe there's another kindred spirit here. You guys have that um, hangout on Easter Monday, and it's at MacArthur Park. Did anyone else immediately think of the song when they saw that? One person. Thank you, sister. I'm with you. One person. Okay, good. I thought I, thought I might be the only one, but I, I feel a bit better now. Uh, yeah. Uh, MacArthur Park's famous song by what's uh, Simon and Garfunkel, I think. Uh, check that out and see if I'm wrong. It's a weird song. Anyway, I'm going to lead us in prayer and we're going to get stuck into this part of God's Word together. Let's pray. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you speak to us uh, in your Word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, by which that Word is illuminated. We pray that you'd work powerfully in us this morning. Uh, that we would uh, sit in joy and we'd also tremble at your word and that on account of listening to it, we'd become more like Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Graham and Gladys Staines were Australian missionaries working in a remote village in India where they had met. There they are. Uh, and they had married, had three children, Esther, Philip and Timothy, and they were giving medical care to people with leprosy in this small village in India, as well as undertaking a project to translate the New Testament into the tribal language of the village they worked in. At one point, Graham, Philip and Timothy attended an annual Christian conference several hours away from their home village. They arrived somewhere near the vicinity of the conference, I think it was a bit of a, in a, a jungle area, and as it was a cold night, they decided to sleep in the jeep uh, that they'd been travelling in. Uh, Hindu extremists around that area were apparently, and I quote, provoked by the corruption of tribal culture by the missionaries, who claimed they fed villagers beef and gave the women bras and sanitary towels. So on the night of January 22nd, 1999, a mob of around 50 Hindu extremists armed with axes and other implements surrounded the vehicle and set it alight so that Graham and his two boys were burnt to death. After the ensuing grief, chaos, funerals, police, court, legal rigmarole, Gladys chose not to return to Australia but to return to her work in her village in India, where she and Esther continued as missionaries. Why did Gladys choose to return to her missionary work? Well, the Spirit of God at work in her is the same Lord who inspired our passage in Matthew today. And as we understand Jesus' teaching here, I think we'll come to understand why Gladys would return to the place and country that took her husband and sons. At this stage in the Gospel, Jesus is sending out the 12 Apostles to reconstitute Israel. But at the end of last week's passage, he mentioned that those within Israel who reject the Apostles' message will be worse off on the Day of Judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. And now that he's mentioned the Day of Judgment, Jesus, though still addressing his Apostles, speaks more broadly and universally about the character of mission in these last days. And the first big point of Jesus' teaching here 
is that as his followers engage in his mission, they should expect opposition. First verse, verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep, but it's among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Now, throughout the New Testament, uh, to give witness for Jesus most often means to give witness to his resurrection. All throughout the book of Acts, to witness is to witness his resurrection. Later on, when Jesus commissions the Apostle Paul, he uses similar language, saying that Paul will proclaim Jesus' name to Gentiles and kings, along with the people of Israel. Put these two bits of evidence together and you get the strong hints that as Jesus is teaching his 12 apostles about the current limited mission exclusively to Israel, that he's taking it as an opportunity to say some important things about gospel mission more broadly, including to us, the church, on this side of his resurrection. And the obvious point is that now, as then, we need to be mindful. We need to put in time and effort to think about how best to do mission. Shrewd like snakes, whilst also being innocent as doves. That's a big part of what it is to be on your guard, really. To give forethought to how it is uh, that God's gospel message will be disseminated and people seeing uh, a turn in repentance and faith. And that will be doubly important because we're told that, that such an activity invites opposition. Sadly, some of the opposition will come from people who know the Word of God. Did you notice where the apostles would find the opposition? They'd be flogged in the synagogues, the places where God's people gather to hear His Word read and taught. And so it is today. I can think of people who went to the same theological college that I trained at, for whom the most opposition to them entering full-time gospel ministry of some sort came from their Christian families. An important difference between the initial mission of the apostles and the mission this side of Jesus' resurrection is that God the Holy Spirit, rather than sporadically and occasionally indwelling his people, now permanently indwells the individual believer, which will be an invaluable asset when it comes to facing the opposition. Verse 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, at that time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And yes, God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. Uh, in a 2019 interview with uh, Eternity magazine, that same lady that I introduced at the beginning, Gladys Staines, talked about the fact that within 24 hours of the murder of her husband and sons, she spoke to the media about the forgiveness available in Christ. Uh, to quote from the article, uh, 20 years later, Gladys describes the process of healing and dealing with such loss as one that is ongoing, but when she reflects on the time when she held the world's gaze, she's not amazed at how she reacted. Quote, I'm thankful that God gave me those words to say. 
The opposition capable of devastating a family, however, is also capable of existing within that family. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so opposition clearly will be fierce on account of Jesus' hatred and hatred of a sort that results in murder, including murder of one family member to another. I remember during my time at Wollongong University, I used to come along sometimes to the international Bible talks for, for, for people who had English as a second language, uh, a lovely Muslim lady uh, became convinced that Jesus was the only way to be saved, which is true. Yet she was reluctant to repent and put her trust in him for fear of her husband responding with divorce or something worse. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil, John 3.19. Yet such a stark, such a negative, such a confronting reality is not a reason to disengage from mission. Instead, if it gets impossible in one context, simply move on to another. Verse 23, when, not if, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, in the case of the apostles at this time, the coming of the Son of Man, after going through the towns of Israel, referred to that temporary mission, and the coming of the Son of Man would, of course, be the death, resurrection, and in particular, the ascension of Jesus. Uh, for those who know, Daniel 7, the Son of Man approaches God, the Ancient of Days. But in our case, it's the returning of the Son of Man that could come at any time. Hence, the same principle applies to us. If mission can't work in one place, in one context, simply move on to the next. Um, having a church meeting here, Gladeswood Hills, in its mission field, is a, a wonderfully good and helpful and right strategy. Uh, I hope that God chooses for His people uh, to mission here and around here. Uh, now, Gav said earlier that uh, we're significantly below budget. I think this is a mission worth investing in. I would like to see this go beyond uh, one year. Pray, pray that that's the case. But why will there be such opposition, such hatred, such persecution? The basic reason, obviously, is human sinfulness. I mean, sin of the heart says, I rebel against God. So when He shows up in the world, of course, there's going to be hatred and rejection. But a big subcategory of that, if you like, getting a bit more uh, sort of sharper, is that people see Jesus and His work as satanic. Don't believe me? Verse 24. The student is not above the teacher nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house, that's Jesus, has been called Beelzebul, a nickname for the devil, for how much more the members of his household? If Jesus gets called Satan, how much more the people that want to be like him and follow him? 
if you can remember back a few weeks ago, chapter 9, the Pharisees did not want to draw the obvious conclusion that Jesus' miraculous work shows Him to be the Christ. So they made the charge that Jesus was doing the work, because they couldn't deny the miracles, but that He was doing that work by the power of the prince of demons, namely Satan. Of course, it's the absolute height of blasphemy. And elsewhere in the New Testament, it's referred to as the unforgivable sin, but that's what they charged. Such a charge affirms that C.S. Lewis' famous point that the only three approaches anyone can ever soundly have towards Jesus are that he must be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Put up your hand if you've heard this before. That Jesus, yeah, it's a good little thing to remember. If you don't think Jesus is raving mad, then on the basis of his words, his deeds, and the evidence, including what people say about him, you've either got to insist he's evil and call him a liar, remembering that Satan is the father of lies. Or else, if you're not prepared to do that or say he's nuts, the only available other option is that he must be Lord, the one God has chosen to be in charge of all things. People outside of God's kingdom, be they the nicest people in the world, can easily have a profound, deep-seated hatred of God. So much that in their heart of hearts, they'll subconsciously ascribe Jesus' person and work as being demonic. That is what's happened here. If you are not for Jesus, then you are most certainly against Him. And there is no such thing as being neutral. That is why His followers will be hated. Now, with all this, we could rightly be tempted to being paralysed with fear. And so, Jesus goes on immediately to give some compelling reasons as to why, even though there will be great opposition, we need not be afraid. Verse 22, so do not be afraid of them. <laughs> well, gee, why, given after all we've just read? Well, here's why. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the ruse. Put simply, in the end, the truth will be plain to everyone. God will bring all things into perfect judgment. He'll set everything absolutely right. In the end, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some, this will happen willingly and with joy. For others, it will happen unwillingly and with terror. We are in the right to proclaim the truth that Jesus is Lord and salvation is found in no other name. And not only will the truth eventually be revealed, but God will only ever always be with His people. He will always hold us fast. He knows exactly what's happening with His missionaries and intensely cares for them, even in death. Verse 28, do not be afraid, this is the second time He says it, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, God, fear God, not man. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. 
And by the way, the word care is not there in the original. It's a saying, it won't fall to the ground outside your father. His care, his love, his will, his knowledge, everything. It won't, nothing happens uh, that's not under God's complete foreknowledge and care and power and sovereign control. Verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, which is less flattering for some than others. So, don't be afraid. You, obviously, are worth more than many sparrows. Despite the protestations of some severely leftist ideologues, humans are actually more important than the animals. Put simply, not only will the truth come to light on the last day, but the God whose mission it is will always be with his people, caring for them intensely, even in death. Uh, as a bit of a hang-up of the way we used to do things, when I produce a sermon outline, uh, I also write up a short prayer point that arises from the passage we're looking at. We used to have, when we had physical bulletins, it would be written in there. Uh, I still did it for this sermon for this week. And uh, normally I don't share it as part of a sermon, but I am going to today because I think uh, it basically summarises and applies Jesus' teaching from the Word of God at this point. I wrote, Lord, remove my fear of mission, the three times he commands us, do not be afraid. How is that going to happen? Well, that's the rest of the prayer. Increase my awareness that your perfect and final judgment is coming soon. And secondly, increase my awareness that you see me and know me better than I know myself. Now, apart from the expectation of opposition and the knowledge that God will be with us such that we need not fear... The one other obvious thing to want to know about God's work in mission is, well, how will you know when you succeed? How will you know if someone takes the gospel message to heart and is therefore spared the righteous judgment of God on the last day? Well, first of all, you can tell by whether or not someone publicly acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me, notice, before others, it's public. I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I'll disown before my Father in heaven. So, an obvious indicator that someone has received salvation is that they publicly acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. They don't keep it to themselves, they let it be known. Of course, given what Jesus told us in the previous verses, it's possible there will be a mix of people who acknowledge Him and who don't, who live within the same household. The contrast will be stark and it will result in division, hence verse 34, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. By the way, if you are a Christian in a household where every other family member is a follower of Jesus, don't forget to be very thankful to God for the wonderful and amazing privilege that is. What Jesus says here is a quote from the prophet Micah, whereby a righteous Israelite laments the sinfulness of his fellow Jews, which makes them liable to God's future judgment. But such a division will at least serve the purpose of making it clear who the positive responders are, for they'll be marked out by having their obedience to Jesus as their clearly identifiable highest authority and calling. They will acknowledge Him before others, even if those others are the enemies in their own house. And they'll be prepared to do so 
even at the cost of their lives. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross, i.e. give up their life and follow me is not worthy of me. So now, why would anyone want to embrace a message that calls for such extreme commitment and such costly sacrifice? Well, simple. That's the only way to truly have life, both now and into eternity. Verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life, for my sake, will find it. Graham Staines and his two sons lost their lives and have therefore now found them in eternity. The horrible pain they suffered in their last minutes is either a distant memory or else unknown as they dwell in the life-giving presence of Jesus in eternity. It is a far cry from those who persist in their rebellion against Jesus and therefore his followers. For them, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for them, Revelation 14, 11. Gladys and her daughter Esther have each experienced huge loss of life and yet have found it both now in Christ and will later in eternity. Esther Staines is now Dr. Esther Scott. She has given Gladys a son-in-law and made her a grandmother, for she has a daughter. Last year, would you believe, sorry, two years ago now, a film was uh, made about their experience in Indi uh, India, which uh, Stephen Baldwin actually plays the part of the late husband, Graham Staines. Why did Gladys return to her village and continue her mission work? Because she knew that it's worth it to take up the cross and follow Jesus, just as her husband and sons knew it. She knew that although living for Jesus comes with huge cost, that the reward is far greater. She knew that God's gospel mission won't always be easy, but that it will always be rewarding, including eternally rewarding. That's what Jesus assures us of at the end of this chapter, which really brings us to the end of our mini-series uh, in Matthew's Gospel up to this point. When the missionary is welcomed by the hearer, which will often happen, happen, believe it or not, people will actually respond in positive. Uh, that's also a great indication that the hearers are responding rightly to Jesus and his gospel message. Verse 40, anyone who welcomes you, my mission worker, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, obviously, welcomes God, the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now, I don't know exactly what a prophet's reward is or a righteous person's reward, but I don't need to know. What I do know is that in the time and culture when this was written, all these actions are likely to have been fairly public displays of willingness to be in friendship and solidarity with those who proclaim the gospel, probably because they themselves are eventually going to proclaim it too. In other words, they're all indications that the welcomer is publicly acknowledging Jesus 
even if in very small and humble ways, like a cup of water. And such people, while they'll face hardship for Jesus' sake, can be assured of their eternal reward. Uh, To quote uh, the famous words from uh, another martyred missionary, this time an American, Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The real fool is the one who tries to gain the world or the comforts of the world, thereby forfeiting their soul and lives an insincere, mildly Christianized, sporadically church-going life in a sad attempt to ease their conscience. Harsh as you might think that sounds, Jesus means it when he says anyone who does not take up their cross cannot follow him and is not worthy of him. Uh, I find it wonderfully comforting to know that Jesus himself has pioneered the mission path. Though he was in very nature God, he did not grasp at his rightful authority, but he added humanity to himself and gave up his very life in obedience to God, dying a death on a cross. He did that not because he had to, but because of his great love for rebellious sinners like you and like me. For in his death, he bore the righteous anger of God towards our sinful rebellion against him. And of course, Jesus was rewarded. God raised him up and he was given the name that's above every name. And he shares that victory with everyone who is in him, all who acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour. So in closing, here's a couple of important things for us to consider. Firstly, are you one of those for whom the apostolic gospel, the gospel according to the scriptures, uh, is something you've heard and received and has meant that you've turned to Christ in repentance and faith. Another way of saying that is, are you willing to publicly acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? They're not so popular anymore, but uh, back in the sort of, I guess, Billy Graham era, Uh, there were these things really popular called altar calls, where a preacher would, uh, having explained the gospel, hopefully, uh, would invite people then and there in his audience to actually stand up, come forward and declare that they repent of their sin and turn and put their faith in Jesus. Now, one of the reasons why they've waned in popularity is a good reason, because you can get a lot of people to do something on the spur of the moment with a lot of hype and without much commitment, right? There's a lot of people that came forward to Billy Graham these days who certainly are not saved. But there's also something sad about having lost that little sort of phenomenon because if a follower of Jesus is someone who's going to publicly acknowledge him before others, it's a pretty good way to start your walk by publicly declaring your faith in him in a relatively safe context Because the idea is you're going to have to do it in a less safe context as you keep telling others about him. The other big problem, of course, is they call it an altar call. At any Reformed Bible-believing evangelical church, there is no altar. There is no altar at this church. And if there is, we'd be in big trouble. Maybe God should shut us down in a year. Christ was sacrificed to pay for our sins once for all. There is never any need for any other ongoing sacrifice. But it's something that's worth thinking about. If you're a follower of Jesus and you wish to sort of formally, publicly acknowledge that, uh, 
If you've not yet been baptised, that might be a wonderful way of doing it. Give it a bit of thought. Secondly, have you intellectually, and more importantly, emotionally, made your peace with the fact that publicly acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Saviour will invite hatred and conflict? I know nobody likes conflict, but Jesus assumes that it will be a reality this side of His return. You've got to make your peace with that. A good way to think about navigating opposition uh, is what Jesus has already given us in His teaching here, that we're to be shrewd as snakes, calculated, well thought out, and also innocent as doves. Innocence means being above reproach in our conduct, in our speech, you want our conversation to be full of grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4. Being shrewd means being careful and wise, such that we don't compromise the truth. It's no good being confident and crafty, but also immoral, as Ravi Zacharias has demonstrated for us recently. Likewise, it's no good being innocent, but without any theological backbone. You've got to work out where you sort of need to do your work. I'm going to close in prayer using the prayer that I submitted for the non-existent um, bulletin for this uh, part of God's Word. Uh, maybe you'd like to, I guess, echo the words or say an Amen with me uh, to close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, remove my fear of mission. Loving Father, increase my awareness that your perfect and final judgment is coming soon. And Heavenly Father, increase my awareness that you see me and know me better than I know myself. In Jesus' name, Amen.